the idea to give it respectability and a designation to give it some structure, I think is a, is a smart thing to do. And, and I'm, um, having said that, I'm the guy that wants to break all the rules. And I'm the guy, remember, that sold Bibles uh, as a gay atheist. So, so my point being is um, I'm not doing this for any other reason than to make the best online program for marketers in the world. That was Stephen Gigliotti, Director of Curriculum Development at the Canadian Marketing Association, talking about the new online designation program the association is about to launch in the new year called The Chartered Marketer. And this is Pod Sessions with Mitch Fanning. Let's go. I sell products, not advertising. This monkey business is in your blood, under your skin. You're getting out, you're just getting in, you're only getting started. People will think what I tell them to think. Oh, have I got your attention now? You have part of my attention, you have the minimum amount. This guy's got the right idea. Why don't we begin? Locked and ready. Bombs away. Welcome back or welcome to another episode of Pod Sessions with me, your host, Mitch Fanning. For those listening for the first time in this bi-weekly podcast, I cover a variety of topics, including marketing, business, and personal growth. In today's episode, I had a fascinating conversation with Stephen Gigliotti, who has been many things in his life, but is now the Director of Curriculum Development at the Canadian Marketing Association, where he and his team are developing a new, first-of-its-kind, two-year online program for marketers, which, when completed, would then give them a chartered marketer designation status. Now, personally, I believe this is a significant advancement for Canada's marketing profession and will play an important role in helping marketing leaders assert marketing's contribution to the C-suite. Besides talking about the new program, which is scheduled to launch in January 2019, Stephen and I talk about his career path from taking him from the Jersey Shore to graduating from culinary school where he served Julia Child dinner during graduation to becoming a acclaimed pastry chef with original recipes featured in the New York Times to his days with Anderson Consulting, now Accenture, the global management consulting firm, to working with big brands like Toyota and Maple Leaf Foods, to becoming a guest lecturer at the University of Toronto, which ultimately led him to the work he is now doing with the CMA. Some of the themes I was also reminded of when talking with Stephen was to write an interesting story, not a perfect story when it comes to your life. Focus on progress, not perfection, and always be learning and evolving. I really hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, we now have visual on target. First of all, obviously, Stephen, thanks for doing this. Happy to be here. I've heard quite a few of your podcasts already, and um, I love what you're doing. Well, I appreciate the uh, the feedback. So when you sent me the uh, the information that I had requested, I noticed something right off the bat that that made me smile and uh in 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 typical fashion uh in uh when i'm when i'm talking with you uh there's always something that comes out that that makes me makes me smile uh so i want to kind of get get right in that because i've been itching to uh to speak with you about that so i noticed right off when when i was looking uh, in the late 80s you graduated from culinary school and during the graduation week, you served Julia Child dinner. Yes. Yes, I did. So what was that like? 
Well, uh, let me let me roll it back a bit. So um, when I I was never really I mean, I was kind of a picky eater as a child. My mother would have tell you that for sure. Um, and I never liked eggs. I used to stay in bed when the family would eat poached eggs in the morning and cover my nose with the blankets. Like I was just kind of a picky eater and, and that was really all I knew. Um, and then when I moved to Boston to go to school, um, I lived with my girlfriend at the time and I started to become obsessed with certain Chinese dishes. And, um, I don't know why it started with Chinese. It's kind of random, but, um, uh, I, I became really interested in cooking and Julia, you know, Julia Child lived in Boston, um, most of her life, most of her adult life, uh, later on. And, um, and I start, she was on television all the time. The repeats of the, her PBS show was on all the time. So I started to watch Julia Child's uh, the French chef, um, and then her subsequent shows. And then I really got into cooking. I started, um, started with Chinese food, but Chinese food is one of those things that is, is very complicated. You know, there's like all this prep and then the cooking is yeah. like 30 seconds. Like it's, it's actually exhausting. And, uh, and I was uh, raised in as far as you could be raised from an Asian kitchen. My father would never have eaten Chinese food if my mother put it in front of him. Anyway, having said that, I started to bake. Uh, and what I quickly realized was baking was the scientific side of cooking, right? Um, you know, if, if, it's, if it's savory cooking, you chop parsley and throw it on it and say, I wanted it that way. But if, it's, if you're baking, it's either right or wrong, right? It's, it's not, um, there's no wiggle room or very little wiggle room. So I started baking and then I started baking bread. And then I really got interested in pastry. So... When I flunked out of pharmacy school, dramatically, um, because I majored in not going to class, in all sense and purposes, um, I realized I wanted to learn how to cook in a formalized way, and I went to culinary school. Julia Child was in Boston. She was, uh, she was, I don't know if she was formally involved in the school. She was kind of like an informal advisor and, you know, she was a big star even back in the eighties, right? Like yes. she was, she was famous for a very long time. And, um, so having said that I, uh, part of culinary school was front of the house, right? Being a waiter and flambe this and flambe that. And I mean, you don't know me that well, but uh, trust me, I did the waiter role pretty good, right? So <laughs> I, I so, could see that. Don't worry. Now the, which drives me crazy because if I run into a gay man who's a waiter and really trying too hard and now in Toronto, I'm like, oh, honey, you don't know what you're doing. You really <laughs> reel it in. So um, uh, I was given the honor of waiting on Julia Child. Um, I think it was because I was one good at it, but also I was like, I was, you know, up in the 10th, you know, on the high end of the grades in the class. And um, she came to our graduation dinner. It was in a mansion on campus. It was, what was it called? The Mitten House. And, um, and you know, it was white glove and everything. And, uh, and uh, her husband, her husband, Paul was, I'll never forget. He was so old and so feeble. He was like hunched over eating his slurping his soup. But, um, you know, it was fascinating to wait on her. Uh, she signed my menu 
And subsequently, um, I had I ran into her a couple of times. She uh, she um, she knew the chef of the restaurant uh, Les Belliers uh, in the back bay that I worked in, and um, uh, she didn't introduce me. But I managed I through another cook in my senior year at culinary school. I um, I um, got an interview to join the pastry team at Les Belliers as a lowly person. Uh, there's a little funny story here. And, um, and well, so I joined the kitchen and the, it's very, it was very intimidating, Mitch. It's like, you know, it was like the top restaurant in town. It was prefixed back then. I think it was $86 for dinner in the eighties. Um, wow, yeah. So, yeah, it was way, you know, way high end and, um, very fancy. And Nouvelle Cuisine, right? So um, I went in and the chef said, all right, well, your first night, you can just do the herbs. And I'm like, oh, well, what now? Great. <laughs> I start out easy, right? I'm like chopping parsley. is I can do that. Maybe something else. Okay, so cut to me 10 minutes later as he hands me a list of maybe uh, 40 items. Um, okay, thyme branches, uh, pineapple thyme chopped, um, chive stems, chives half inch, chives quarter inch, chives dice. Um, I went into the walk-in and pulled up the herb bins, and they, of course, all looked the same to me. Um, <laughs> it was it was like being a massive jigsaw puzzle. It was it was entirely a humbling experience. I fought my way through it. I did a decent job, but I ended up becoming pastry chef. I think within six to eight months, and that was pretty a pretty quick rise and. Uh, because it was the best kitchen in town or the one of the most regarded one I had, even some of my instructors from culinary school were trying to get into that kitchen. But it was it was brutally tough work for a lot of people romanticize cooking, you know, um, and I get it, especially now. Um, but, you know, people were on their feet 14 hours a day and um, I was responsible for six or seven types of bread every day. Um, I, I made puff pastry like twice a week in like 50 pound batches by hand. Um, and I caught my chef once selling it to his friends because it was, oh, such wow. high, it was, it was high quality and they didn't have pastry chefs. And I'm like, chef, why, why am I always missing a 10 pound block of pastry? Like it would just vanish overnight. But um, it was tremendously rewarding, and I think, um, and I ended up with with I ended up with recipes published in the New York Times. But but yes, that's the Julia Child story, and um, and uh, it was it was lovely to meet her and talk to her and uh, like meet one of your icons uh, and mentors uh, in person. Now, what was she? Was she the same uh, in person as she was? kind of in her public persona or yes yes, yes. she she was truly authentic it i mean dan Aykroyd. it was funny because of course you know they mimic her in so many ways but her voice was that way she kind of gurgled um <laughs> and she was immensely tall i don't know if you know that i think she's six three or something oh, really? i so. think i think i didn't i knew she was she was taller um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, that's it's a that's a great story. Now, do you still do you have a favorite recipe 
that you still, uh, and do you still do it? Do you kind of still, you know, bake and cook and you, and do you still in, enjoy doing it? You, I do. Um, I, I mean, I live by myself, so it's kind of absurd to make some of these recipes, uh, at times, but it, it's, you, I kind of get, this will sound weird, but I'll explain myself. You become kind of fetish. What is the word? Fetishistic. What's the the word where fetish has become like an adjective? Like I'll obsess about certain things until I pull them apart. Um, so I, I went through a period where uh, Jamie uh, Jamie Oliver is Jamie Oliver Jamie Kennedy is a chef in town. He was uh, in Toronto and he was famous for his French fries, which is a weird thing to be famous for, but. Um, uh, I, I was like, well, what, is, you know, and I had them a couple of times at his restaurant. And then I went through maybe three months where I was just obsessed until I got it right where it was. So it was, the, it was Yukon gold and a, a lemon, a lemon mayonnaise uh, was his secret. But I do cook. Um, uh, and uh, I, when I lived with my ex, we would have regular dinner parties where I would really, you know, put on the dog. I do cook for my father when I'm in Florida and I do bake. Um, but I, it, it's kind of a dangerous thing if um, I, I bake really good no-knead bread. It's a classic recipe. Your listeners uh, should Google no-knead bread New York Times. and um, Okay, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's like three ingredients, but it makes beautiful bread. And it's and spelled the way it's, it's knead as in N-E-E-D? No, K-N-E-A-D. K-N, okay. Yeah. So literally no, need, no kneading is involved. And um, it's a tricky technique, but it's easy to master um, once you got it down once or twice. And it makes this delicious, big, crusty, you know, artisan kind of loaves. Well, I mean, anyone who's trying to lose weight and trying to cut down on carbs, baking a big ass loaf of sourdough bread for yourself is a dangerous thing. Oh, I'll just have a few slices here and a few slices there. And oh, there's Nutella that can go on it. And oh, peanut butter and jelly. And oh, so um, the bread. uh, Yes, I do bake to answer your question, but not not a lot now. Now, it's funny because I do know somebody who listens that is a enjoys baking bread so i think he'll uh he'll be putting that on his list i'm sure as i think about this do you so is do you still have a favorite that you do though like in terms of is there something that you are kind of be you you are asked to do every once in a while when you have the time i well the bread is regular bread. if like I, like i'll take it for for uh, gifts and things if i know someone's having a party i'll bring a couple of loaves of bread because most people most people don't bake bread um but in my professional life, there were a couple things, a couple pastry items that I did early on that, um, which I haven't made in years, but I still have the recipes, of course. We, um, there was a chocolate chestnut tort that was on our menu for six or seven years um, when I worked there on and off and full time. And it was, you know, hazelnut meringues and chestnut puree and ganache and chocolate genoise and it literally mitch took two days to make like you know because of just the sheer layers and complexity but um but it was beautiful to look at so that was a favorite recipe and also i um i'm I'm pretty damn good with fish just because there's fish running through my family all the way and i love fish so uh, i i'm pretty i'm pretty adept at cooking fish okay great so now, I also noticed, again, when I was reviewing, 
there was that kind of switch in direction in, I believe it was around 90, 92 or the early 90s, you became a senior consultant at uh, Accenture, which is the management consulting firm for those who don't know. So I guess the question that I, I, the first question I thought was like, why, why that switch? So is there anything that you can kind of talk it's about? A, yeah, sure. It's a funny story. And it, I mean, not funny. It's just, I guess a lot of people are, are curious about this in my life. And I think it's a thing that happens that should happen in most people's lives. I, I would, I love cooking. I really did. Um, but cooking's a funny thing in the sense that the more, I mean, this is back also in the eighties back then, as you, as you became a more accomplished cook, you got further and further away from the food in many ways, right? So to make money. So, I mean, it's a strange kind of segue, but I ended up working for Donald Trump in Atlantic City um, after living in Boston for a long time and going to school there and cooking there. I moved back to the Jersey Shore um, uh, and moved back in with my parents and uh, started working as an executive sous chef in one of Donald Trump's casino hotels. That was at like the peak of his Atlantic City time. Like I think he had, oh God, three or four and they were huge. And, um, the, the money was good. Um, and I was, uh, I was, what I was called a relief chef. So I would give, um, the other chefs their shifts off. Right. Right. So, okay. And I think there were, I think there were five or six high dining restaurants in the hotel. It was a huge facility as you can imagine. Right. So, um, I would, I would work in the coffee shop. They would call it for a lot of my shifts. It was, you would never call it a coffee shop. Really. It was a full service restaurant. Yeah. Massive, right. And, you know, you know, the type of places. And, um, and it was, and, and it was intensely busy. You know, this was the height of Atlantic city, um, especially in the summers. So, um, uh, let's get back to the, where the tangent was here. Um, I was, a friend of mine had bought a PC and I wanted, I was fascinated by computers and I didn't own one. And, um, the Macintosh two came out. I'm going to date myself. I forget the year mid to late eighties. And, um, so my mother and I drove up to the Apple store in Tom's River, New Jersey. And there it was for $7,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh yeah. The, it was the first color Macintosh. And okay. I, and me, I mean, Mitch, I had no computer experience whatsoever. So the idea of parting with $7,000 was kind of crazy on its face value, but I did, I bought it. And then I promptly like screwed up the installation discs on some software. It was all flop. <laughs> it was all floppy disks back in those days, right? Yeah. God, I'm really I'm sounding like a hundred year old person. Anyway, um, taught myself um, to use some multimedia apps, and I mean they were very far and few back then. And then, and I really don't know how this happened. Uh, well, I guess I do really. I because in my time in Boston, I had made friends with a number of doctors who had I had met by hanging out at Harvard's campus. I sound like a hobo, but um, these were just <laughs> friends, like a mutual friends, and they ended up moving, going to NYU med school and becoming doctors. And in a conversation, probably a drunken one one night, 
Um, one of uh, my friends said, you know, I need slides done and I can't find anyone to do slides for me. And uh, I was like, oh, aren't they done on, on computers? And they said, yes. So I started a business. Now, this is while I was still cooking and wor working, as a, working as a sous chef. I started developing slides uh, in Persuasion. That was like PowerPoint at the time. Okay. Uh, it was a software package. So it was Persuasion, and then there was there PowerPoint back then? I don't think so. Taught myself Photoshop. Uh, get this, version 1.05. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I mean, uh, but um, I got, I was quick to learn it, very quick. So I started doing slides for these research physicians, and within... Gosh, I don't know. Within five or six months, I was making four or five grand a month. Wow! Just it, just kind of doing that type of like, you know, um, that that type of work, like making making slides, etc. for for these people. Yes, because they they would go to conventions or you know uh, let uh, lectures. And it was, you know, the old-fashioned slides, put them in the tray and that kind of thing. And it was funny because uh, even back then, you could send the files to um, – what were they called? Well, they were production houses in New York. You could digitally upload files onto their systems, and they would produce the slides. So I could do this from New Jersey. Um, and then because of these doctors, you'd have to deal with them directly. I would have like their inside phone numbers and because it was very intimate work, really. You're 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 creating their presentation materials. So the, right. they, did, they didn't have their assistants do it. It was. And, and also because I was kind of I had paid attention in in pharmacy college and science courses. I knew what enzymes were. I knew what. I, you know what I mean? I knew the scientific terminology. I knew how molecules interacted. I knew about medicine and that kind of thing. So it, I didn't get flummoxed by any of the terminology sure. or anything. So, so I started, they started sharing my name around and suddenly I had a completely like side hustle doing, <laughs> doing a le lecturing physicians presentation materials, which again was not a conscious decision. So, um, so having said that, I built up a pretty decent portfolio within, I don't know how long I did it, maybe a year and a half. And then, and then this is again, a random turn. I was reading the New York times and there was a blind ad saying wanted production artist for persuasion. I think it actually listed persuasion. I sent in a resume and two weeks later, Accenture called. Oh, wow. So that was really random. And, and by the way, it wasn't Accenture then. It was Anderson Consulting. That's right. Okay. So now the interesting thing is uh, I'm seeing a pattern, but I wanna, I'll, I'm want to. i going to kind of move forward and I'm going to – we'll get to that in a second. Um, and then you did that. And then 90, you said – it looked like uh, you did it for five years up to about 97 – and then you you moved to Toronto or Canada in in ninety nine. Yep. And that kind of started. Now was that was that work related again? Was that? No, I fell in love online. Oh, it was for love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now it's like I can barely 
stand his presence, but I still see him. It's okay. I, I mean, I, I don't live with any regrets at all. Um, but I did, I did leave Accenture. It became Accenture just as I left it. Um, in New York, I, um, I left because they weren't going to promote me, but they weren't going to promote me more that I didn't have a Wharton MBA more than anything else. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was, it was a, a partner kind of thing. It was, it was brutal, but it was like getting an MBA, to be honest with you, to, to work on that much high level business um, for that long. I saw all kinds of, I worked across all kinds of verticals. I worked across all kinds of business um, from, you know, from the pure consulting side to the reorganization side. I worked on a project where we went to Westinghouse four days a week just to reorganize the company from the ground up. So it was working with very, very smart people um, and like Ivy League MBA teams. Um, and uh, to have that much exposure to management consulting at that high level was a huge thing for me in retrospect. Um, it, it allowed me to see into complex businesses and work across multiple verticals and also present and talk to and get my head around complicated um, projects. I didn't, so I was basically doing presentations then, but unlike a lot of my colleagues, I was reading every slide. Yeah, but, and so as, you're, as you were saying that, what what it uh, I was reminded of is I actually know, and that's another pattern I've seen. And actually, one of my previous guests who just sold his business, uh, who a software business, and essentially is a tech uh, serial entrepreneur, uh, Dimitri Buterin. Fascinating man. I, I believe he actually started in management consulting too. Um, and I actually know about at least another handful of people who started early in their career and i don't know if he would attribute any any of that but but just from a timeline point of view they started in management consultant consulting sorry and and went on to do some interesting things so so yeah it's it it definitely is seems like it's a a good laboratory to to get a lot of different exposure and a lot of different things and we don't have to kind of go down that rabbit hole but uh but definitely interesting uh interesting kind of observation and, and pattern well and it also i guess in retrospect it's funny as you mentioned it in retrospect it kind of spit me out as a marketer even though i didn't realize it at the time you know what i mean like um uh I was naturally, because I was fascinated by the ascent of the internet too. I was, you know, even even some of the partners at at at, at, and, at, at Anderson would come down the hall and like, aren't you the guy that knows where all the cool stuff is on the web and the internet? Like, you know, it was it was just happening back then, right? So there was a lot of people didn't even know how to get online. So it's once I left, it spit me right into um, into New York's burgeoning interactive zone which was really back then was really kind of cool um i used to i i participated in the first interactive tv project called the orb i think it was called the orb at nyu and um uh, you know things were just blowing up down there and um and i ended up at ad agencies um i started working for a small ad agency and then i pitched 
I was part of a pitch for the American Bible Society. Now, if you want to sell Bibles, apparently you want a gay atheist to do it, right? That's the, <laughs> that's the lesson I think we have in retrospect. But um, I pitched and won the business. And from that moment on, really, it was it, it just – I didn't realize it at the time. But in retrospect, everyone's attitude about me changed. And suddenly I was in the car with the handsome assistant going to Pfizer and Warner Lambert and American Home Products and and all these massive corporations and uh, in their boardrooms and pitching interactive projects. So it happened quite dramatically, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I can definitely picture a, a scene from Mad Men. Yeah, except they're they're talking about interactive uh, and and kind of digital at at that time, uh, and instead of um, you know billboards and and copywriting and, and creative. Yes, yes, <laughs> it, it was it was honestly pretty exciting. They I had an at, I had an actual office on Madison Avenue, and um and they said, well, how do you want to you know they were throwing money around back then. You know, it was yeah. crazy, right? So they said, how do you want to decorate your office? And um, my colleague had like this fancy Amish furniture. I forget the name of it, but it's apparently quite famous. Um, and they said, well, what do you want to do with your office? you got to have a cool office. And I said, all right, I want eight and a half size poster boards of the top 100 websites on my wall. And I, I went away for a business pitch. And within one week, they were there, right? And and they glued them onto the wall. And it was – I wish I had a picture of it. I didn't even have a picture of it. But uh, it, behind my desk was like the top 100 websites all just up on the wall. Wow. It was kind of yeah, cool. Yeah. And and so like you said, it kind of just talking about you became kind of that marketer from that experience with Accenture or Anderson Consulting at the time. And yeah, I mean – you, just to kind of lay it out, you you seem to have spent the, the next fifteen years, you know, in marketing and and biz dev roles with with ad agencies, and also on the client side, and and have a pretty illustrious career uh, it, during that period. Now, what's interesting is I'll kind of take a step back. There's some questions I was going to ask, but it's funny. It seems like throughout that you know the whole process you've you followed your interests and uh at least that's kind of what i'm i'm seeing just from i mean i've i've had other conversations with you but just even from this conversation and i kind of want to read something that uh i found that you had highlighted on medium you know just kind of doing my my research and and the and it's actually a quote from Robert Greene, Mastery, and it's, the future belongs to those who learn more skills and combine them in creative ways. And that's kind of what I almost see happening. You've, you've learned these kind of skills and you start to combine them. So I guess the question is, you know, did any of your experiences as a pastry chef, you know, help you in, in your marketing and also your teaching career? You know, I mean, it's funny that because that's kind of, my, you might say, no, of course, they're not related at all. But um, 
I, what you just said, of course, is what I've kind of what I've done all along is I like if I'm going to know something, I want to know it to my level. Like um, I was fascinated. This will sound like an off tangent thing, but early on, I think my father would tell you eight years old, I was fascinated with Beethoven and classical music um, in a very strange way. Like none of my family is musical. My father listened to Johnny Cash, who I still love, but I just got obsessed with classical music as a child. Um, and I'm, I'm still not obsessed, but I'm still a huge fan of music, classical music. And in retrospect, and I, I this came up in my mind just randomly the other day because I knew we were going to talk. I, I, in some strange way, I think it, and this is, it's why it's, it's sad that it's not popular anymore in many ways. Um, I felt like I was almost programming myself by listening to classical music at a certain level. Like I was strangely obsessed with Beethoven and I used to read musical theory about Beethoven way above my head. And I still read way above my head in many ways. But um, what I think was happening was these, kind of patterns in music i was bach and beethoven were my favorite and schubert and um i think those those musicians those composers managed to distill patterns in their music that become explicit in human behavior later on i think what it is is it's like somehow deep learning that we're not processing as learning we're just processing by as music does that make any sense at all um i am worried i'm sounding like insane but no um, yeah from from just from a just just from a fundamental level but i guess how i i would probably need an example but i i kind of understand i think if i were to add my my uh you know my two cents to it it's it's maybe almost that you learned um how to flow almost almost yeah. like music but that could just be more symbolic so maybe we're we're both kind of going off on on tangents and down <laughs> well to get to get back to answer your question um there was a specific instance like so so back to cooking when I, if I'm going to learn how to make puff pastry, I'm going to learn it, and I'm going to because it's notoriously difficult to to do to do puff pastry consistently well. It's the humidity, it's the, the water content of a butter, it's the f gluten in a flour, it's amount of rest. There's it's it's science, but it's also the touch, and um and so you know once I got once it's it's like a building block. Once you learn how to do puff pastry, there's a million things you can make with it. And both savory and sweet. And I remember one of the most fun aspects of that that job was that the chef would want to sit down with me, I don't know, maybe every three months and say, um, okay, what are we going to do for the fall? Like, and, and, you know, and it was like completely do what you want, but you got to get it past me. And I remember one meeting saying, you know what, I want to take, I want to take pastry cream creme patissiere which is you know the stuff in eclairs and stuff and i want to give it i want to flavor it like earl gray tea and his eyes lit up <laughs> and I, I i was like oh fuck i just scored right you know what i mean like it was like he thought that was brilliant i wanted to do it it was putting the pieces together in a different way and that's what i really like to do and you you've hit upon this thread in my life because i that's what i really always shoot for um 
do I want to do something new. I don't want to do what someone's done before. I just um, and I want to go where my mind and my heart takes me. So it, it, and some people are confused by that and the career and you, you zeroed right in on that. How did you go from a pastry chef to Accenture? In my mind, it, it was it's very clear. It was the Macintosh and the Macintosh was super compelling. The software was the platform and it just allowed me to go in a different direction. The idea of doing the same thing over and over again, Mitch, um, no, that would be hell for me. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is so there. So I'll just completely go off script. One of the things that I, I, you know, realize in my life, and again, I went, I've been on a sabbatical now for eight months, is that our true, authentic self is actually a lot of different versions of ourselves. Yeah. You know, as people, we we tend to like different things. the The problem that, or I won't even call it a problem, but what happens is people want to kind of pigeonhole us or it, it helps for other people to identify this person is a marketer or this person is a right. creative person, but sometimes they're both. Like, for example, you and I, we both share the, 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 uh, in terms of the way we are in the sense that we both love uh, data and technology, but we're also creative. Right. I can kind of see both sides of it uh, like you can. Uh, so it's interesting. A lot of people kind of struggle with that because if you're doing a whole bunch of different things, then it's kind of confusing. But you'll also notice people who have gotten to a certain point, they have kind of come down this weaving path and kind of gone through transitions. And I, and I think really in the end, I don't think one is better than the other. It's just some people are are meant to kind of weave through and and jump on interests and follow passion, and other people uh, maybe find a passion and just kind of build through that in terms of one through one vertical. And I don't know if one is better than the other. It's just I don't think one. I think has to, or sorry, I think one doesn't have to be uh, looked down upon versus the the no. the, the other path. Um, I, I I agree with you completely. Just to just to finish that thought is, and also you know life has to support your decisions too. Like you know the randomness of the world, right? Like I, I have friends now who have been in marketing for a while, and they're really having tough tough times getting a job because um, they're too you know they're they're getting more senior or whatever. Like it's, it's like the timing is not working with their their passions, and um, and I. I've gone through that myself, like, uh, uh, and I agree with you. One isn't better than the other, but I also think you have to be open and flexible enough to go with your heart if if things aren't working on a, you know, people get locked down. Oh, I'm going to be this. And then, you know, fate doesn't serve it up on a platter, right? Um, there's a, a, a certain amount of flexibility you have to have. No, exactly. And there's so many different paths this is kind of a, a side note that we can take in this conversation at this point. Uh, I mean, the one thing I'll touch upon is just just to kind of reinforce what we just said. You you know, I, I don't know if you saw it, but um, there was the uh, the news that came out that Google, Apple, and IBM removed the degree requirements uh, from 
you know, essentially getting a position with them. So you're starting to see that they're starting to recognize and corporations are starting to recognize that you can come at it at, at different paths and, and, and still, you know, be, have the qualifications, uh, you know, and skill set to, to, to work with these companies. I, I didn't, I didn't know that. And, um, and that, triggers something in my mind about the CMA program because we have a prerequisite for uh, the program, but we can talk about that in a while. Yeah. Maybe, maybe well, I, should, I shouldn't even mention it. At this well, point. in about five minutes, I guess we'll talk. But it's sure. uh, the other thing too is, I guess I'll just add, is you know when you said baking is the scientific side of cooking, it also made me realize you know you, you're creative, but you 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 went down a kind of a creative baking or um, culinary vertical that is in a way very structured and, and scientific uh, and again analytical so it's interesting how you kind of split the thread on that uh, but that was more of an observation so I think the the we, we've been kind of teetering on 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 moving in that direction but obviously all these experiences, kind of have taken you to this point where you started, you know, you, you had a, a, a teaching, a very significant teaching uh, role with the university of Toronto uh, where you, where you d developed the the program that was off that still offered content marketing and, and multimedia uh, storytelling. Now you're the director of curriculum development at the, at the Canadian marketing association, the CMA, where you guys are actually starting to build this this new two-year program so maybe we can talk about that a little bit a little bit yeah well let me let me tell you how i ended up at the u of t too because it's it was kind of another i mean not i get honestly i think it was a bit of a surprise so i was at cineplex i think i started when i was at sachi and sachi actually i did a couple guest lectures um when i was at sachi and sachi on uh on web strategy and and kind of positioning and things and Mitch the first couple were awful like I was just they stared at me and like you know and I I was I was used to business pitches and uh, I think anyway I, I just didn't get it there were these 24 sullen bored faces staring at me in a small room at U of T and I I don't know I just it didn't go well and um so I did them on and off. A friend of mine was an instructor. And then um, I took it up seriously again when I was at Cineplex a few years later. And I had great material this time because at Cineplex, I was the director of business development for their experiential digital out-of-home side. And we did all kinds of cool stuff like digital lounges at Vaughn Mills Mall and and you know all the screens in Tim Hortons and and um, and uh, Royal Bank are all run by Cineplex. A lot of people don't know that, um, but anyway, we did some really cool projects. And uh, and also, I had all these architectural renderings of dream projects with big budgets, and and it was still relevant to the class because all of these systems are controlled remotely through the web, and and also creative is all uh, developed. Uh, by agencies or working in conjunction with collaboration with Cineplex. Anyway, so I had these really cool decks and I was relaxed and I, 
you know, I told inside stories about horrible business pitches that gone wrong or projects that went wrong and people started laughing and, and I was getting a word around campus that, oh, you've Gigliotti is a great guest lecturer, which is fine. It was great. And I was busy at Cineplex. Fine. And Cineplex was very supportive. My friends at Cineplex to this day are still very supportive. So, uh, senior management folks. Anyway, so I the what was her title? The director of academic programs at the time. Her name was Cindy Betcher, I believe. Yes, um, invited me in for a meeting, and I met her and the director of learning innovation, who's still a friend of mine, Tino Corsetti. And uh, they, I had no idea what they wanted me in for. So we met at the U of T, and she said, Stephen, we'd like your help on our marketing side. Um, would you take a look at our course catalog and come back next week and just sit with us informally? And, you know, it wasn't a paid gig. It was just, would you mind? And I said, sure. So, but you know, I'm from New Jersey. Don't ask me for my opinion if you don't <laughs> if, if you don't really want to hear it. So it was it was okay. It was I I you know read the catalog, made notes, especially obviously about areas of my interest and and their interest. And a week later, I went back and I said, you know, Cindy, these five pages of marketing courses, you haven't used the word mobile once oh this wow was, and that this was 20 what year was this 2012 2013 and i'm like you know and these course descriptions you know i said cindy you're not teaching medieval french poetry here <laughs> like you know you write the textbook in 1985 and then you just prop up an old white man and have him lecture for the next 50 years and um and sure, her eyes grew wide. Little did I know that Tino told me later that I was, she was shocked to hear this. I mean, you know, the U of T, I mean, you know, I love the U of T, but I don't, you know, it's just another school in my mind, right? Yeah. But the U of T is the shit in many ways, right? It's a, it's a massive organization and, you know, amazing people work there. I, I, I still have the highest regard for it. Um, so they went away, and, and then like four or five months later, Tino called me and said, can we come to your office? And uh, I was working for a media company in uh, Liberty Village then. No, the distillery, sorry. And uh, he came with a man named Lee Gowan. And my boss at the time said, they're going to want you to teach. And I said, no, they're not, Martin. They're going to just want me, I might give me my opinion. Well, of course, 45 minutes later, they asked me to teach and develop, <laughs> de he was right, to develop a certificate program. Now, they were only interested in my, me being part of the team at first. But once we got started, I became the actual lead certificate developer. And I did. I developed three courses Foundations of Multimedia Storytelling, um, Omnichannel Content Marketing, and then Advanced Practices in Multimedia Storytelling. And honestly, Mitch, it was the hardest I've ever worked in my entire adult life. Um, but it was also the most gratifying work in many ways. Um, uh, we built it from scratch. We used a learning management system that they hadn't used before. The curriculum was all original. I mean, we had great people working on it. I worked with an amazing team. That's another great thing about the U of T. It's, it's the people you work with. So um, 
the only downside was of it that it pays like 11 cents an hour. So, <laughs> um, but you don't do that for the money. You really don't. You know, I mean, that's that's what the takeaway that was, was part of the learning. So, and then I taught every course. I taught all three courses. And actually, this time last year, um, I was teaching all three courses. Um, three of them online and one in person uh, up at the Bloor campus, but it was brutal. Like that's just just a lot of work, and um, I I always I don't compromise on the teaching. I'm always fully engaged, and you get to be really um, altruistic if you do that kind of work. Everyone gets your respect. You want everyone's opinion. All the learners get the same level of engagement. I I was I really got disciplined with that. I worked really hard about it, but. It was it was wonderful, but I didn't realize it at the time. But my Myers Briggs profile, you know what that is? Yes. The, yeah. Um, my Myers Briggs profile nickname is the teacher, and I didn't oh, even wow. realize that. Yeah. What am I? An ENFJ? Yes, ENFJ. I think. I'll put that in the show notes. So one of the things that I, I kind of made me think as you were as you were talking, you mentioned that you started. Uh, this was all kind of kicked off. The catalyst was you uh, guest lecturing, so and I and kind of going with that that pattern. You following your interests. How did you dis? What was the what led up to or 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 the events that led up to you deciding you wanted to even do the guest lecturing? Well, it was it was it was. I think it was because of the aura that Sachi and Sachi had to some degree. Um, the, the original professor that invited me was very curious to get someone with real world day-to-day business knowledge of building websites and interactive presences for brands. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, that was his reaching out to me. Um, and at, at Saatchi, I was working on Toyota, Maple Leaf Foods, um, there are quite a few others, but it was still back. This was in the early 2000s, um, 2003 or something. And, um, you know, it was still the heady days of growth and change and technologies. And, you know, I mean, this is, you know what I mean? It was, it was during multimedia, just when sound was used, flash was king. We, you know, there was all kinds of changes and it was very rapid, but it was also big bucks and a high level of visibility. So he was curious to get someone in with that kind of professional day-to-day experience. Okay. Um, but again, kind of random. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I could see, I could see, and like you said, it was, so we, I mean, I guess if I, if I had to stick with this, was it, how kind of did it come to be that you, you in that organization, was it just because, uh, again, just, just kind of serendipitous or did you say, like, can you remember the self-talk? back then in terms of going oh this would be interesting or is it was it just more of a at the time it was just yeah I'll, yeah I'll I'll be I'll be the guy uh how did that kind of come about 
Well, well, I think it was it was it was funny you say that because now I have to look clearly at it. First of all, it was maybe ego where I accepted <laughs> like, oh, oh, sure, I'm looking at me the big shit, right? But then what happened is it went so poorly, I like it really didn't go well oh. from my end. Like you know what I mean? Like I'm sure the students could care less, but from my end, it was like I'm not connecting. There's something wrong here. Like I did poorly, which. If you if you know me, it's like oh no 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 I'm not gonna that's not gonna sit well with me, so that's why I went back at Cineplex and actually amped it up a bit. Um, and uh, one it was it was a combination of one being a little more motivated to do better as a guest lecturer, but also I had better material at the time. Okay, so I think we should kind of what because I've been we've been teetering on it and we've yeah. kind of hinted at it. Being being now at the CMA, uh, and this is something that I've been interested in definitely talking with you because it's something that I'm going to be doing. Um, you know, again, for those who who might not uh, might not be a part of the CMA or, or the Canadian Marketing Association, for those marketers, maybe kind of give a, a quick just a quick overview as well as kind of the, the program that you guys are, are looking, uh, looking to, to launch in the, in the new year. Sure. So, um, you know, I, I, when I was in the agency world, I, I, I went to some CMA events and, you know, um, that was, uh, you know, they were, they were big events and there was awards and things, but I, I went to a couple of their, um, of their two day kind of events. And I frankly wasn't really impressed at the time, but, that was years ago. Um, when uh, a friend of mine sent me this job description in November, um, he said, do you know anyone that this would pertain to? It was funny because I read it and I thought, no, not really. And then I woke up the following morning. I was like, that's you, you idiot. Like, <laughs> like, like that's you. That, that is totally. It's funny how that happens sometimes, right? It, it is. It is. Um, so, the CMA kind of went through a rough patch a couple years ago. Um, it's much leaner now. They moved from York Mills or somewhere, got up there, and downtown. They're right at uh, we're right at King and University. It's a it's a really lean organization. Um, it's very well organized. There's some great people running it now. Uh, I don't know much about the past of it, really. I don't, and it's not really all that important now. But uh, I think this whole initiative started two years ago, I believe, so I might be off on that a bit. But the idea of the CMA, uh, the Canadian Marketing Association, actually creating a professional designation similar to CPA or architects or, you know, that kind of that kind of um, idea. Um, and it is... Um, there are many organizations in other countries like this, associations in other countries that offer this sort of designation program. Um, I was not involved with the initial conversation, um, and uh, and there was a fair amount of work done by some very smart people on, you know, how do we put this in place, looking at other countries, what's involved, and that kind of thing. So um, the job I was hired for um, – I managed to beat out some very smart people and very well-documented people um, for this role. Um, it's perfect for me in many ways, uh, and it feels that way. So 
there's basically two things going on right now. There is, if you have 10 years of marketing experience at a pretty senior level, and you've also taught or or have other aspects of a multi-dimensional marketing career, you can apply and get the designation with an application, a couple hundred bucks, and reference letters. And what the CIMA does is it, it looks at your career, it looks at your experiences, and there's some really, you know, it's seriously taken, it's judged, and it's done by blind study kind of approach, and uh, it's done by multiple people and scored, and then the board votes on whether you have the qualifications to become a chartered marketer. That's the program's name. In January, we will kick off the start of a two-year online education program that's designed for people to do while they're working. It's not a full-time uh, program, and it's not in person. It's online, but the senior path will end so that you can't apply for it anymore, and the way to get the chartered marketer status will be to take the two-year program. So that's the overall picture in a nutshell. And when I started, um, I saw a lot of the research, but there was no actual program. So uh, it's kind of thrilling to be able to help build it from the ground up. Yeah, and just from what I've seen, and I'll kind of, I think this is, and I think I've told you this before, you know, when we, in our previous conversations, but it was literally maybe two, two months ago two maybe, maybe even a bit more. I was talking with a gentleman who was actually an architect. So another professional, another, and I was having this conversation that I, I feel there needs to be some, some designation for the marketer. And we were kind of going through, you know, and having that, and I was kind of picking his brain about, about, you know, his, his designation, his profession. And then I came across, and then you and I kind of crossed paths and we right. were talking about this. And I feel it's, it's very timely, uh, as a marketer who's been, you know, has 15 plus experience, t 10 plus years as a, as a senior or, or a marketing leader, uh, you know, it's timely because, you know, there's been study after study about the CMO position, the you know the marketing leader position, not holding a lot of weight with with some you know within some C suites. Uh, it doesn't mean every marketing leader, but there is that study, uh, there is that kind of data out there, and I I believe that uh, a program like this, you know, will 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 it will play a role at least will play part of a role in in helping to change that. And it, that's actually one of the reasons why I've decided to to do it um, from a, an, an altruistic or an advocacy point of view. Obviously, the other part being is I want to continue, uh, you know, investing in my own uh, professional development. Uh, but, but yeah, I think it's 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 a good. There's other reasons personally that I think is it also helps kind of the. And this is the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. It it helps with the person, uh, kind of waking up the next day who may not be the right person or doing it for the right reasons or having the right background. Waking up and saying they are a marketer, and telling people, uh, you know, they're waking up and saying, um, you know, I'm a I'm a, 
the next shiny social media tool that comes out. I am an, I am a, an expert in that and I can help this company get, get leads and, and grow your business. So I guess my question is, you know, on one side, I feel it's definitely needed. On the other side, it, it, I, it's, I think it, marketers can come from any path, just yeah. like we've talked about. So, uh, how, what, what's your, what's your, I guess maybe, I don't know if it's a professional, like, like from an association point of view or a personal, your take on having that kind of regulatory, um, kind of program designation, but also, you know, not being the, the gatekeepers that, that say, well, you need to have this or you, you know, you, you know, I, again, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is you've got, you've got these people that are, have become marketers through, you know, on the job experience who, who have, who have what it takes. How do you guys balance that out in terms of, you know, I, I guess it's, it's, you know, how do you look at that? Maybe we'll start with that. Well, well, a couple things, uh, you know, I think, the 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 idea of putting at least a framework together as a basis for the designation in terms of skill sets and everything i think is good for the profession i'm i'm being altruistic about it i really do think it's good for the profession cuz you and i both know absolutely agreed yeah there there's some shady damn characters out there saying they're marketers right like and you know and and maybe they're, i mean they're they're doing it maybe for all the right intentions but they're just either they're just not doing it well. They're either incompetent or they're they've got something to shill as a you know and as opposed to a, a real bottom line customer growth perspective, which is what all marketers should at least you know. I mean, what I love about the prep course, which I just finished up, was and this is a it's a textbook driven uh, prep course, automated within six weeks, um, but it's self directed. I mean, you can take it on your own. Um, I just sorted through 14,000 questions in the test bank to arrange the uh, quizzes and exam, just in case anyone thinks my job is sexy. That took five days. <laughs> um, but the the idea, you know, the idea to give it respectability and a designation to give it some structure, I think is a is a smart thing to do. And and I'm um, having said that. I'm the guy that wants to break all the rules, and I'm the guy, remember, that sold Bibles uh, as a gay atheist. So, so my point being is, um, I'm not doing this for any other reason than to make the best online program for marketers in the world. Like I, I'm just kind of throwing stuff out that has been done in the past. And I've been a little shit disturbing on LinkedIn lately, like picking at things like, like I hate the word digital disruption. If any, I just hate seeing it now. I hate the word digital in general because it's 2018. And what are we doing? Teaching analog marketing? Are we talking sundials and LPs here? Like, you know, all marketing is digital now or most exactly. of it. Right. So marketing is just marketing. So let's cut the chase. Like I'm just in my mind, this kind of approach to the education is opportunistic and shallow. And and you with the rate of change and the, the speed of change, 
and I said this at the U of T on a webinar, but I'll say it again. Just like, you know, you know how it is. You run into the C-suites or you run into senior folks in management or in businesses and like, oh, my God, I don't know what Snapchat is or like, what do you mean? I mean Internet of things like everyone's whiny about the speed, <laughs> of, the speed of change. Well, get over it. It's not going away. It's, it's not going backwards. It's not going backwards. It's not going to de decelerate for some strange reason. So flip it on its end and view it as an opportunity to grow and learn and change effectively. Like, you know, it's funny, even the topic of MarTech has come up recently, both internally and externally. And, uh, the, the 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 CMA has a new council, which is a Martech council, and um, I mean this is you know I mean it's not inside gossip, but it's ex it's exciting for me that we have that the CMA has gotten rid of a council called Digital and is now a new council called Martech, and uh, even the word was discussed. So uh, the takeaway, and just to, for your listeners to get a point, is. Our council members on the MarTech Council are quite senior, and I said in a meeting recently, well, I know why they're quite senior, is because if you're talking about MarTech with any expertise, you have to come from an organization that's large enough or complex enough to build different stacks and understand how stacks are built and understand the way you op you know optimize stacks for business growth, right? Absolutely. Right. And, you know, and that's inherently complex, but it's also the that's also why you would have senior people doing it. So, I mean, we're way down a rabbit hole on this again. But um, again, the, the the idea of a designation so that people who are serious about in, um, building their marketing skill set can at least say, OK, gosh, if I'm going to take an elective on MarTech. If I take it at the CMA, I'm, it's going to be informed by this council. It's going to be developed by marketers with with a lot of experience, and it's going to be using some of the best um, practices in adult online education. We spent three months doing really serious research about what works and what doesn't in online education, and I said. I mean, I, I love the senior people involved because maybe it was my kind of wild-eyed conviction. But when they saw our results, I said, look, we, we have to change what we're doing in the sense that what we learned from the research was that teaching, just being an instructor, you know what I mean? Grading the yeah. work and showing up was table stakes. That was not the differentiating level at all what the differentiation was someone to guide me through it like to be the word is in the research was convener it's a scottish word to mean host so if you th and it's it's not a stretch you'll get it and your listeners will get it if you study online what is different well there's no classroom there's no 20 people sitting around you they might be, right. you know, it's virtual. So the big difference is you don't have that human to human interaction and you have to kind of bring that in in a certain way and not just the obvious way. So our program will have what's called a program facilitator and they're all very smart people with teaching experience who will stay with the cohort all the way through the program. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. They won't 
they won't go from instructor to instructor. And that's just one of the changes we're making. We're also cooking in soft skills and video assignments and, um, and we're, we're chunking the content up. So just, you'll get this, but I'll, I'll throw it out there. Do you know what the optimal video time is for a video lecture or a video piece of content online in terms of learning? An actual lecture? Well, throw the word lecture out. Say, if, you, if I was going to teach you a complicated subject, how long will you watch a video in terms of engagement? Well, you know, I'm going to say right off the bat, I'm going to feel that if the content is good and, and the person is interested, it, it could be, it's going to be longer than what most people are typically used to when it comes to different platforms, like say social. So I'm going to, I'm going to say if, if I took a guess, I would say just, you, you know, using the over under approach, at least, you know, 10 minutes plus. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're pretty, it's actually six to nine. But the engagement falls off dramatically. And even at the U of T or the CMA, we were doing 40-minute lectures. Like, yeah, right? So it's like, wait a minute. I mean, it's just a simple matter of chunking it appropriately. And also, if you use the right technology, and it's on demand, you can stop and start this whenever you want, right? So um, it's just like the Netflix of learning. Uh, if I want to stop a movie and go make popcorn, I will. And that's how people process the online learning. So, and also, you know, no single from the research, I'm not giving too much away here, but it, it was fascinating to me, whether it's PowerPoint or or... or or other delivery methods, they're all the same. They're all processed the same overall. So we're actually working with instructional designers who will take the content however we get it. And um, that's what I'm doing right now is talking to big companies and small companies and subject matter experts to access learning materials that will support our course outline. So I'm, I'm kind of in a producer role now, yeah. but, but I'm talking to some just amazing people, Google and Veronics, Delvinia, you know, I'm just talking, it's just thrilling to be talking to such brilliant people and optimizing the learning materials to support what we think these people need to have in the curriculum. Yeah. And like I said, you know, just talking this through, you know, I think for for the professional marketer or the or um, for the marketer to be taken seriously moving forward, they're they're just like really at the end of the day, you know. Again, we're talking marketing leader or somebody who's in a role that's that's not just a specialist. They have to have some level of experience. They have to be ethical, and they have to be able to apply a framework for the business that is that is exclusive of the tactics in the sense that be, what I, and what I mean by that is tactics will always change. So the framework has to be able to plug in these tactics as they come in based on what the, what the company needs, meaning actually business impact. And for me, marketing has always been value, but it's also specifically for the companies I work with, you know, revenue but bringing in revenue in the most cost efficient way. So to me, it, 
you know, if somebody wants to wake up the next day and be a marketer because they feel they can, you know, they have a way to generate leads through Instagram and they're going to, they're going to shill a course. Well, I feel like you need to, you need to wait, you know, you know, you need to have some experience and realize that that's just a tactic. And if that person really wants to be a, a professional marketer, go through a, a program like this or go through, you know, have this, you know, you know, be dedicated to something like this, uh, because that's ultimately what's going to give people uh, in the C-suite uh, confidence that marketers can be taken seriously. And if, if anyone's going to do it, I do feel like the CMA uh, is is the right uh, is the right organization to uh, to kind of move this type of initiative forward. Yeah, I I, it, I agree with you completely. And when I first started, it was like, oh my god, what have I gotten myself into? Because it just this the sheer amount of work and it was a little overwhelming. Because I knew like there was a lot of research done, but nothing was really conceived. The program wasn't conceived. But just before I got on uh, with you, started this morning, I had a call with the the lead developer on the second course, and I'm working with him. They're they're meeting, and you know I'm I'm loving Slack because I I, I built a Slack channel for them all to work on. And it's, one, it's cut down on email dramatically, but now I can see them. I can peek into the channels and see them working. Um, and I mean, it's not creepy, but it's really so collaborative already, which I'm so thrilled by. Again, another differentiator for the program, the courses will not have individual instructors. They will have the same people developing the courses will be the instructors, and they will instruct as a team. So you won't have one opinion. You will have multiple opinions, and it'll always be dynamic. One of the core selling aspects of the program is we will never have a static curriculum. We're building it in a modular way, so I'll be able to swap things in and out. At the U of T, I learned the hard way about that. You know, In the, the first storytelling class, the first year after we ran it for three semesters, when I looked at it in the fall – like all the Facebook stuff had changed, all the Instagram stuff had changed, right? So you know how it is. You can't, there's no way you can nail down no. a curriculum right now, not at all. So we're building it in a modular way. And I'm really happy now. Core one has been finalized. Core two is meeting tonight on Skype, and they will, pres we will have a workshop. Um, at the CMA a week from Friday, and uh, I will work with them to develop and finalize Core 2. And Core 2 is going to be the tough one. It's the financial models, it's P&L, it's product development. And like, you know, Mitch, if I had to do a tagline for it, you know, this is a CMO design course program. Like, that's what we're really shooting for here to teach the CMOs of the future. But the second course is going to be a bitch. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm warning people right now because uh, we might even use Harvard Business School simulations and IV case studies and things like that to really make them work. But you, if you're going to be a marketer, you have to know a P&L. You have to know product. Oh, 100%. There's no way. Like that's that's another important aspect of the designation. Yeah, and those that 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 course is what I live and breathe, uh, and as well as the soft skills. Um, the one of the things I guess one of the, just before we move to the next kind of you know and and the the closing, just want to make sure that I I uh, 
cross my T's and dot my I's here. So it's this program is it it's available. The two year program starts in the new year. Yes. And the senior path, someone who has that experience 10 years or uh, or more and has all the, the requirements can can actually apply right now up until that point. Yes, exactly. Now, um, I, I'm sh- I, I don't it's been discussed in the future because the senior path like, you know, if you're if you're a, if you've got 30 years of experience and you want to become a chartered marketer, um what do I do once December 31st comes? Uh, I, I don't know. I think in the future there will be some sort of senior path a couple years from now, but that's why the 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 team at the CMA is seeing the number of applications surge as as we click down to the deadline. So um, it, it's okay. There's some amazing people there. Um, I'm a CM. Some of my, all the instructors are applying if they haven't already. Our councils are becoming CM, you know, and you get to put the CM on your LinkedIn profile. But the idea in the long end, long run is to build a significant community here to have events and to have advisory panels. And um, our council members are all being encouraged to become CMs. So, yes, it'll end in, um, it'll end on December 30th. Whether there's another path to get that, like if you do have 25 years of experience, you run your own agency, you know, come next May, you, you're not the person that needs to take my program. That's not what it's designed for. The idea of this senior path was to jumpstart the program, jumpstart the designation, and to build that initial community so that once we do launch the program People will see what our goal is uh, at the other end. And to, just to, to, to dot some I's and cross some T's here, it's a two-year program, but, you know, we're being realistic here. If you take a – you can take a semester off and come back and that kind of thing. So I think the idea is you have to complete it within five years or four years overall. But um, uh, it, it's designed – you know, you pay as you go. It's not a big formal thing. It's, it's you can take two or three courses and then uh, skip a semester and, and then come back to it. Um, but you do have to take them in order. And you you can't take more than one at a time. It's really applied marketing, you know, Mitch. It's not it's not like this, you know. It, it's it's we're we're using as many case studies, as many experts, as much interaction as possible. So it's learned by doing as much as we can build it that way. That's great. Well, like I said, I'm I'm interested in and in, and in, uh, I'll be putting in my application shortly. So when when we talk. Um, or sorry, when we, we as we move kind of to the close, there's just a couple of more questions, and they're 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 going to be nice and hopefully uh, light. Sure. The first is, what have you changed your mind about lately? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I it wasn't a it wasn't a hard change to make, but. Um, as we started building, I, there was a gnawing, something was gnawing at me and, uh, we talked to some real expert people at the time and I, I won't use his name and I won't use the university's name, but, um, he had just come from an MBA and marketing event at a school you would know. And he said, if I meet one more kid 
with an MBA who can't stand in front of anyone and make a point and and be and and and, and, and I started laughing and I thought, oh my God, this has happened to me in my profession. Like I, when I was at Cineplex, some of my senior people, you know, that were handling million dollar eight. Ten five million dollar accounts. They the client loved them. Everyone loved them. But that was all via email or phone conference, right? You put them in a room, you put them in the C suite or a boardroom, and they would stand there like a stone sculpture. Um, and it just triggered a lot of things for me. So um, you mentioned soft skills. Uh, I didn't it, – it wasn't much of a change of mine. It was a more change of priority. So um, even this morning's call with uh, with Jeffrey O'Leary from um, – he's from Maple Leaf Foods. He's leading um, the development on the second core course. I said, all right, Jeffrey, we got to figure a way to cook in soft skills and sneak them in as we can. Um, and not to make the learners uncomfortable or to make it um, make it more difficult, but – we have in the summit course, we, they, they are required to do modules of soft skills like, like body language and negotiation and those kind of direct things. But in the core curriculum, we're going to sneak in other ways to make sure their soft skills are cooked in. So to answer your question, the prioritization of soft skills uh, became significantly more important to me than initially thought. Okay, that's great. I mean, and that's good to know as well. And the last question is, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? Uh, you know what? Honestly, croissants in a bake shop in the Virgin Islands, like in flip-flops and like, you know, some rosé and <laughs> maybe doing that. Like that might... That might actually be uh, what I'd be doing. That sounds <laughs> that sounds pretty good to me. So <laughs> let's not talk about it too much. Let's yeah, and on that note, thank you very much, Stephen, for for uh, being on the show. It's uh, it's uh, yeah. As always, it's it's been it's always great to talk to you. So thank you very much, and uh, that's it. That's all. It's been a pleasure, Mitch. Well, that's it for this session. For those of you who made it this far, thank you so much. Quick reminder, the show notes will be available on my website at mitchellfanning.com. And at this stage of the game, I really only have two small requests. Number one, I'd really love to get your feedback. And you can do that by either going to iTunes and leaving a review or contacting me via email or social. Just use the hashtag MitchCast. Again, all of this can be found on my website. Because like I said before, it's really going to be your feedback that's going to give me the oxygen to keep me going in the early stages and to improve the show. Because ultimately, I want this to be something that you'll also get value from. Last but not least, if you know somebody who might be interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out and let me know as well. That's it. That's all. Until next time, thank you so much.